Hey, Degenerates and Degenerates, limited edition Mouse Rants apparel is on sale today at teespring.com slash mouse rants. I lost 45 pounds in just three hours. The Mouse Rants clothing line is a fast, easy way to get rock hard abs. Ooh, it helped me find what I was looking for in life. Jesus. Look slimmer without working out. Get a black mouse rants tee, and suddenly all that wiggly jiggly will go bye bye. People will be amazed, but shh, I won't tell. With a mouse rants t shirt, my body feels smoother and more relaxed. My mouse rants hoodie made my girlfriend's vagina smell like pineapples. And my boyfriend's semen tastes like chocolate ice cream. Mmm, mmm. It cleared up my skin like that. Who cares if you stink? A Mouse Rants tank top absorbs odors fast. Simple and easy to put on. You just put your arms through the sleeves and your head fits right inside the head hole. Order one t-shirt for $20 and you will get another t-shirt for $20. What a savings. I wore a Mouse Rants t-shirt today and not only did I get high fives in the park from like everyone, but I'm getting my dick sucked as we speak. Yep. Here's... Increase your penis size by at least four inches. Do you ever have that not-so-fresh feeling? I don't, because I wear mouse rants. From small to 5X in so many different colors. Buy a limited-edition mouse rants t-shirt, hoodie, or women's tank top while supplies last. You only have until August 17th, so get those orders in and we'll throw in a free smile. Support the show! Yes, and cast members alike love mouse rants shirts. Just go to teespring.com slash mouse rants and choose between a mouse rants t-shirt, hoodie, or women's tank top today. Warning, most claims made by this commercial are false. Please buy the shirt to support the show and not just because two assholes told you to. Brooklyn, 2014. Amid the rats and the whores of a burnt-down old museum town in its old age, the Mouse Rants podcast was a star in its own right. A beacon for the Walt Disney World-obsessed elite. The time is now, on an evening very much like the one we have just witnessed. Tonight's episode of Mouse Rants is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. Mouse Rants contains strong language and adult situations often assumed as inappropriate and offensive and is no way encouraged for the whiny crybabies who feel that being a tattletale and complaining to management is the only way to get what they want. Even Rod Serling was an avid proponent of anti-censorship and think all of you pussies are pathetic. If you believe to be one of these big mouth stool pigeons or if you are under 18, please take the service elevator to the exit now. We invite those who are left, if you dare, to step aboard, because in tonight's episode, you are the star. And this elevator travels directly to... Mouse Rants.
Welcome to Mouse Rants, episode 37. In a row? In a row, indeed. Um, I am your host, as always, Jerry Skids. With me is Simone DeMilo. How are you doing today, Simone? I'm doing dandy. How are you? Dandy? Dandy. Really? That's the fucking word you're going to use? Dandy? What, have we gone back into the 20s now? (laughs) I don't know. I try to mix it up a little bit, you know, because it gets repetitive after a while. Fair enough, fair enough. Today we have two very special guests. I'd like to introduce them to you. First, we have the author of The Dark Side of Disney, Leonard Kinsey. How are you doing, Leonard? Hey, doing great. Glad to be here. Awesome. We're happy to have you here. And of course, why else would we have done this show unless we had brought on the director of The Dark Side of Disney documentary, as you can tell from the title, Philip Swift. How are you doing today? I'm doing dandy. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> fucking dandy. dandy. Jesus yeah. fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Um, we came to see your, well, I came to see your uh, rough cut uh, screening of the uh, Dark Side of Disney. It was fucking phenomenal. I'm telling you, I loved what I saw. Simone, unfortunately, didn't come with me because she's too fucking busy. Um, well, but I, I how did you guys go. I got stuck working. <laughs> how did you guys feel the screening went? Uh, I, 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 this is Philip. Uh, I think it went really well. I was surprised. I was you know, super nervous, as I think any uh, artist, uh, not to call myself an artist, uh, as any dandy uh, would, would feel uh, at a time like that, uh, when you're about to you know, premiere something, show something to, to a whole crowd of people you've been working on uh, for a long time. Um, I was real nervous, uh, but guess what? It went really well, and people seemed to really appreciate it. We had a nice like, wide variety of people from like, super Disney fans to people who had no you know, stock in Disney at all, um, to my mom, who of course loved it. Uh, and I was really, I, yeah, I was really happy. And we walked away with a, a bunch of really good feedback that has all been incorporated now. Well, not all of it, cause some of it was shit, but, um, some, <laughs> most of the feedback has been incorporated, uh, into the newer, newest version of the film. What did you think? I mean, this is your first time seeing the film, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd seen little bits and pieces of it and, um, I kind of knew where Philip was going with it, but I didn't. To be honest, I was worried that it was going to be, this sounds weird coming from me, I was worried it was going to be a lot more scandalous than it was. Um, (laughs) Which, uh, the reason I was so excited about Philip doing this film to to begin with is because I had seen The Bubble, and it was just a really well done film about Celebration Florida, and it was a very mature film, and... So that's the kind of person that if anyone was going to do a movie about the dark side of Disney, uh, that is the kind of person I would want doing it as opposed to, you know, a bunch of stupid teenagers who would go and and get in trouble and kind of cause a lot of unnecessary uh, bad press, I guess is a good way to say it. Um, because really, this book has always kind of skirted the line as far as um, getting Disney to crack down on it and to crack down on me. Um, so having something that was just tawdry and didn't really have any redeeming value to it, uh, movie-wise, would not have been a good thing. But, so I, I really trusted Philip, and you know he completely came through. And uh, I was just blown away by it. I really was. I, I thought it had a lot of heart, and and that was that was great. It, it was it was really cool. Yeah, and we, we, I mean, I loved the movie as well. It was, it was really, really good. I was, not that I was surprised. I knew it was going to be great based on the trailer itself, but it took it to another level that I was very excited about. Now, we're throwing out words here like the bubble and, you know, and Dark Side of Disney. Now, most of my fans should know what it is, but in case they don't, 
I guess, Philip, first, what got you into filmmaking? Uh, what's the bubble? What's, let's hear your history. Uh, I uh, got a video camera when I was 13, and I started making movies with my friends. Uh, it's just what we did all the time. Um, we probably made literally over 100 movies from, like, the age of 13 till the age of, like, 25. Just, you know, a bunch of, a lot of it was garbage. Just, you know, us, we would think of a joke, basically like a punchline. And then we, we would film for, you know, uh, 10 minutes until we, we got to that punchline. And, and a lot of it is just kind of boring, unwatchable garbage. Um, but it's awesome. It's super fun. It's kind of how we kind of learned the skill of filmmaking. We all were film nerds and uh, we were able to put the, that, that nerd like fandom into practice by actually creating movies. And uh, each film got a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. Uh, and then all of my, we all grew up and I was the only one that kind of like decided I still wanted to, to keep making films. Um, and so I went to art school and I got a film little, you know, simple two year, uh, film degree. And then I started teaching and I was inspired by a student, um, who made a film, a short documentary about her mom who, who had died from complications due to HIV. Uh, and it was this very beautiful, like simple, like 10 minute documentary that the student made. Um, that ended up sort of just being this sort of, kind of like cinematic eulogy to, to her mom. Uh, and I was blown away. And I thought like, ah, oh, God, you know, for 20 years I've been making movies. And they're just these kind of like, well, at that point, for 10 years I've been making movies. And they were just these kind of like bullshit kind of goof-off films with my friends. And I had recently, uh, a friend of mine had passed away who had been in a lot of those films. And I decided that I would, I would go back and talk to all, all of my friends who made these movies. And we would... Uh, I ended up making a short documentary about all of these old stupid movies we made and how they now um, take on this extra weight because one of our friends who was in a lot of the films is no longer with us. Um, and so then it was just a, a short uh, documentary called Sincerely P.V. Reese that you can check out on my website, DearMothman.com. Um, Dear Mothman. God, it's, I feel like there's so many like threads that have to be explained when I start talking. <laughs> uh, but Dear Mothman is a film that I made as a senior in high school. Um, my friends and I, after school... Every day for like six months, just shot like a minute of a movie that ended up being this hour-long movie. Um, and so then I made the short film, and it got a little bit, I would say, a tiny little bit of recognition. It played at a couple festivals, and people seemed to really like it. And then uh, I wanted to make a, a feature. I wanted to step up the game and, and focus on more of a, a bigger project. And uh, I had some time off in the, I believe it was 2010. I had, I had some time off in the spring of 2010. And I was talking to my wife, and we both were like, oh, we should do something. We should go on a road trip. We should do whatever. And, and uh, there had just been a murder in the, in, the, in the town of Celebration, Florida, which is the town that the Disney Corporation built inside of Walt Disney World. And as of today, almost 10,000 people live there. Uh, and after being around for about 10 years, the, the town had its first murder. Uh, a man was bludgeoned to death, and then, or was bludgeoned with a, uh, a handle of an axe, and then he was strangled with uh, shoelaces uh, until he died. And I thought this was the strangest, most bizarre story I'd heard about a Disney-related um, anything. Uh, yeah. Next oh to, like, God. the... Have you ever... This is a total side note. All of a sudden, I'm going to ramble off, but I heard this story earlier today. But you know about the, the death of the guy who did the voice of Peter Pan? Have you guys ever heard about that story? No. Oh. It's, it's amazing. Like, the, the little kid... He was a little kid that was in a bunch of, like, old, like, Disney live-action stuff... Um, he was in Song of the South, and he was in a couple other things. Uh, and he fell in hard times, and Disney was like, well, Disney was like, well, I'll give you one more shot, Buster. Come on in and be the voice of Peter Pan. Uh, and he ended up being the voice of Peter Pan, and he used all of that money to then um, become, like, an insane, like, drug addict. Uh, oh. And he, then he went missing. 
Um, and it turned out after like a year of his family trying to figure out what happened to him, the uh, it, w- it was in New York. He had like o- overdosed, and the police had found his body and just like thrown him into a, a po- you know a Potter's Field um, kind of public graveyard, um, and no one knew who he was. So they had to like go through all this like research to find out that the voice of Peter Pan uh, OD'd in the streets of New York. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, like, what a, what a sad story. Basically, so I mean, sad. it it basically the guy dies. And he's an actor. He wants to be known for something, and nobody knows who he is. That's like that's a double whammy right there. Yeah, definitely. Fuck. Yeah. And so, in the honor of a mouse rant, I am I'm now ranting on. Uh, but anyway, so I went ahead. I made this uh, a film called The Bubble. It's a documentary about Celebration Florida, um, and it's uh, it's it's you know I, I I'm I'm its worst critic because uh, I say that it was my it has a real first feature kind of vibe to it. Um, I think I was making it for other people and not for myself. And it uh, is very informative. It tells you all about the town from the people's, uh, for the people that live there, from their perspectives. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's good. It looks nice. The music's really good. Uh, and thankfully, from making that, actually, I, I sent a copy of it when I was trying to, like, trump up online sales of it. I sent a copy to Leonard Kinsey, the author of The Dark Side of Disney, to say, like, hey, I think you might be into this. And then it sort of started a conversation back and forth. And then, of course, um, I started to think about the next project. And that's when I realized um, that Leonard's book would make a great documentary film. Um, and I, I, I kind of like, in the early days of, of making The Dark Side of Disney into a documentary, I, I was saying at first it was based on the, the best-selling travel guide. Um, but more recently, I've kind of shifted to Inspired by... Um, and I think I'll let Leonard take over there to kind of talk about the book um, so we can then maybe transition back and talk about the, the documentary. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, the book was uh, originally, let's see, it came out in, I think, August of 2011. So it's almost uh, four years old now, which is, just blows my mind. Uh, <laughs> it's astounding that it's, it's that old. And obviously it's been updated a few times because things change constantly at Disney. But but at its core, it, it was a, uh, a travel guide for me. Like I, it was a book I pretty much wrote for myself because all the other travel guides that uh, that I would buy about vacation at Walt Disney World were pretty much mostly irrelevant to the type of vacation that I took there. So I was born and raised in uh, in Florida, uh, not too far away from from Walt Disney World. We used to, we used to go there all the time. Um, and so I felt like it was a second home. And, of course, um, as you grow up, certain things start to not be as exciting. The rides aren't maybe as exciting. Um, and you start wanting to get into other sorts of stuff uh, as a teenager and, a, and an adult. So um, being the kind of person I am who likes to drink and, uh, you know, happens to, to like women and uh and whatnot <laughs> uh you know i would go on dates there and uh and find places to uh to you know get drunk and to, to bring a girl and, and started having more basically more adult times at at the parks and uh and there just really wasn't a travel guide for people like that because it's traditionally disney world's thought of as a place for kids and Kind of adults who go there almost uh, you're either a parent who's you know grudgingly going to, into the park and you know oh you you poor father, that sucks that you have to go you know trudge around there in the heat for a week um, or you're just a weirdo who's you know uh, uh, 
kind of a pervert who's going there to, I guess, molest kids or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was the impression I would get when I would tell someone I was going back to Walt Disney World again for vacation. And they just kind of look at me like, mm, okay, you're, you're a weird guy. So I'd be like, no, no. I mean, seriously, there's a lot of cool stuff to do there as an adult. And they'd be like, yeah, sure there is. Um, so I started writing up these kind of tip sheets for people that friends and coworkers who were going to Disney World. And I'd be like, look, just here, give this stuff a try. And they'd come back and they'd be like, whoa, these are great tips. I actually had a really good time there and I can't wait to come back. And I'd be like, yeah, see? So, um, and then I had all these stories about uh, kind of urban exploring in the parks, going down in the Utilidors, the tunnels under the Magic Kingdom, and uh, just getting into a lot of trouble uh, when I was there. And people always seemed to get a kick out of those. So uh, people would be come back from their vacations and be like, y- you should totally write a book about this. And I'd be like, ha, ha, ha. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe I should write a book about it. And And so I did, thinking like, there might be a dozen people out there who are going to be into this. Um, but it turns out there are a lot more than a dozen people who uh, want to have that, that same type of Disney vacation that I do. So uh, the book ended up uh, within two months of coming out. It was hitting number one in some major categories in Amazon, and it was selling thousands of copies. And it really kind of took me by surprise, to be honest. But because it was really just a uh, just a guide for me, but apparently there's a lot of other people like me out there. Wow, damn straight there are. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the book and and the movie, basically, it, they're very different. And and I love how the book itself is a travel guide, um, in a way, uh, with a lot of stories interlaced right. into it. Yeah. Whereas I found the film based on it was more about the people that would tell these stories. I don't know how much you want me to give away or what's... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, for, for instance, the social clubs. I mean, they're not really so much touched on in, in the book as they are in the film, I thought, but I was really interested in them. I loved actually having that character as if it was a, a narrative in a way. I, I, don't, I, I just like how it's, I guess, more based on people who would take those tips, the darksiders, if you will, how they live their lives and what they think and why they do what they do. Um, and I, I really like that aspect of it. And I like how it was more of a spinoff of the book. Yeah, no, I, and I, 100%. You, you just said it there. It's the, it, it, when, we started, when I started making it with uh, my friend um, Joe Spitt, who's a, a great uh, cinematographer, and my friend uh, Zach Lemon-Simon also helped out, um, it quickly real, I realized it very quickly that it was, it was kind of boring to see the how. Like, it's wonderful to read it in Leonard's book, and it's really cool to get the inspiration to be like, okay, I'm going to go have sex in the park, like, right on that, you know, secret, you know, next to top floor <laughs> of the contemporary while I watch the fireworks at Magic Kingdom. It's going to be great. Uh, or I'm going to go get high and, and do this. You can read it, and it makes sense. You're like, okay, cool, I'm going to go do that. It's awesome. If you go and film that for a movie, like, it doesn't really translate as well, because if you get high and then, like, go on Space Mountain... It doesn't really look like anything, you know what I mean? It just looks like somebody right. staring off into space. Um, <laughs> and if you hey, like, and you, we couldn't, we don't want to show like. I guess we could have some sort of like really sexy, like erotic scene where people were fingering each other in the uh, family bathrooms. But um, I, I would have liked to see that to tell you the truth. <laughs> but whatever, right? And it's probably out there. It's probably out there on, on RedTube or something. But who knows? Um, but uh, so we quickly transitioned from instead of how do we do these things, uh, it was more about the why do people do them? Why why do people need to find this alternative 
uh, outlet at the Disney parks. Like, why can't a, a you know a normal person um, just go and have fun? Like, why do they have to jump off the rides and and explore behind the scenes? Why do they have to you know take every drug known to man to enjoy Christopher Cross at Epcot Center? Um, why do they have to scatter their their mother's ashes in the moat um, around Cinderella Castle? Uh, and it's to me that was much more compelling because. I think everything that, that Dean Leonard's book is out there already on YouTube in some way, whether by his own hand or by other people's hands. Um, right. You can search, you know, Dark Side of Disney on, on YouTube or, you know, whatever, uh, and see all that kind of mischievous stuff going on. Um, but if you're really tackling something on a, on a, you know, documentary level, you want it to have uh, the more introspective, personal stories um, that uh, hopefully, you know, speak to a, a wide audience. Yeah, I yeah. I agree. Actually, I went down. It's funny because I went down the same path that Philip did after writing the book and kind of being exposed to all these fans that I never knew existed that really dug it, and it kind of um, kind of a community gathered around it. And I started uh, hearing more and more stories about these kind of over the top Disney fans who were really kind of strange, and it it made me think the same thing. Why do these people need why do these adults need Walt Disney World so much? Why is it like this drug for them? And I got super obsessed with this question. And I actually, I ended up, my follow-up to Dark Side of Disney was a book called Our Kingdom of Dust, which is a fiction book. But it's basically about that. It's kind of about this group of, uh, of adult Disney obsessive uh, addicted people and uh, kind of an examination of what it is about their lives that makes them need this this uh, place that they can escape to. So I, I think it was really interesting to see kind of Philip go on that path too, and um, and have him examine that with real people. It was that was fascinating to me. Um, I used to be a cast member back in 2001. Like I know like the Disney tattoo guy. Not that sure. I know him, but I met I met him, and I met like a lot of these people. Um, Linda Skywalker. Yep. So the people that are quote unquote referenced in Our Kingdom of Dust. <laughs> um, seriously, like it, it was it was so. Fun to read that because it, it just puts in a, a whole different spin on it. Did you ever have any problems, by the way, with any of the people you were referencing? No, um, you know, apparently the stuffed animal lady, the lady who sits in the lobby of the Grand Floridian, um, she uh, was told about it and was pretty flattered. But you know, the um, the Disney tattoo guy, he got uh, arrested for strangling or tr trying to kill his girlfriend by strangling her in a Disney hotel room. Whoa. Um, I think he is actually still in jail. Um, wow. but, uh, yeah. but in general, I mean, with that book, I had these, I'd never met any of these people. I'd heard, you know, of course the urban legends and seen pictures and, and kind of let my mind fill in the blanks without knowing anything about them. Um, and, and, for better or worse, it turned out that a lot of times the backstories that I came up with were were kind of close to to reality, um, which is which wow. is wild to me. But but yeah, I mean those are the uh, those are kind of the the extremes, I think. Uh, right. But I think it's it's actually more interesting to see just kind of like the person that you sit next to every day, you know, at work who ends up being just super duper obsessed with Walt Disney World and just like like you get why someone like the tattoo guy or whatever is is uh needs Disney in their lives but um just more normal adults I guess what what's the fascination so that's that's why I thought what Philip was doing was really cool 
and, and Philip, uh, before you, I guess, explain um, the film now that we've kind of delved into it. Was there any topic that you planned on covering that was in Leonard's book that became too difficult or kind of unnecessary? So it didn't you know, come to fruition in the end? I think there's a lot in the book that I had a problem translating to, to a film. Um, the, what we do touch on, we, do, we definitely do some drug-related stuff, and we definitely do the um, Utilidor stuff, um, getting a fake ID from uh, a guy that um, approached me on Facebook. But the, <laughs> the, the sex stuff we didn't do, because again, it was just like, it ended up being like, you know, three heterosexual dudes like poking around. Um, you know, I'm married. I was at the time was expecting a baby. And, uh, oh, yeah, I guess she wouldn't have been happy if you ordered an escort service. <laughs> she, my wife was funny. She was like, you should just, it doesn't matter what kind of sex it is. So just like, you should walk hand in hand with like Zach, uh, the, one of the camera guys I was working with. Just like, go walk off into a shadowy corner and like play a little bit of music. And then you, people's imaginations fill in the blank. And I, I was like, yeah, that's right. That's a, yeah, we should have done more of that. That would have been funny. Um, but we didn't, yeah, that was one thing. So the sex that we didn't really get into, but I feel like, yeah, in general, most of it is there. And again, that's why if it isn't there, that's why the term like, you know, inspired by rather than based on, uh, took over. Yeah. uh, And like you said, the the sex, I mean, you can actually go on you porn and uh, monorail, monorail girl videos up there. So everyone go on porn and search for monorail girl. I put that up there like years ago because wasn't years ago. I put that up there, yeah, well, maybe a little over a year ago, because you could only get it on VHS. And so I actually uh, <laughs> captured the VHS, and it's it's VHS. The girl's got some nice 80s hair. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, again, like, I don't know how you're really going to top that as far as sex, showing sex in the parks. I mean, I guess you could do a full-on porno in a uh, companion restroom, but that's... Yeah, you could do that anywhere, you know. Yeah, you're in a bathroom. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how interesting that would have been. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Before that video came up, I I know I saw the photos of it on FlashMountain.com. Yeah. I didn't know there was a video of it until I was listening to Kingdom Cast, and you were on, I think, one of their episodes, mm-hmm. and you were talking about it. I was like, get the fuck out of here! There's the whole fucking video yep. went on. Oh, it was good time, literally so the like... whole fucking video. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Simone, you're not really talking much. Why don't you ask a question or say something? Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, because I'm so, like, I I ended up missing the, the film, which I was so upset about because I ended up working. But I, I did end up watching um, uh, some of the, the videos, the, the old videos that came with the, was the Kickstarter Indiegogo or whatever? Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Three Little Pigs one. I saw the full uh, Three Little Pigs that, story. Oh my, I, yeah, I, that was oh, cool. God, I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, this, so there, this random guy uh, came out of nowhere, out of, out of like the woodwork of the internet. Um, we, we've done two Kickstarters for the film. Um, we did one for production and one for for post production. Um, and he's contributed. He's been like the number one like supporter and contributor to both. Like insane. Like he's even come out and said like you know whatever you're doing next, you just let me know. We got this. We'll do whatever it is. And part of like his his interest was because he used to work at the. I just burped. Sorry. Um, he um, used to work at the parks back like in the early '90s, late '80s, early '90s, and so he had like all of this footage, all of this like crazy random footage, including like what is basically a documentary by itself. It's like 80 minutes, uh, like la- through three little pigs. Last day they were retiring these old three little pig costumes, um, and uh, and the people who were working in those costumes at the time had the forethought, the hindsight uh, to. Um, to document the last day. And if you watch like all 80 minutes, it actually is like a really compelling, like little, you know, verite documentary. 
uh, about like the behind the scenes life of, of, uh, of Disneyland and Disney World employees. Uh, and it was one of those things that like he, I thought this guy was nuts. And then he sent me these videos and he would like, we'd talk like, you know, at all hours on Facebook and stuff. And then one Sunday morning, I, I, I said to my wife, we were just sitting around drinking coffee. And I was like, oh, this guy sent me these videos. Maybe do you want to take a look at them? And she was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And we hit play. And all of a sudden, it was like 80 minutes had gone by. And we'd watched every second of it. And we were just like glued <laughs> to the TV because uh, it was amazing. It's, it's, yeah, they're it's, pretty awesome. I hadn't seen them before. Was, I, I was really that one shot where he pours all the sweat out of the out of the shoe, the character. Yeah. I was yeah. Just like, man, I'd oh, heard about God. that, but I'd never actually seen it like. Yeah, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of like really surreal, almost like David Lynch like kind of scenes of them like walking around, like marching together, like, yeah. uh, and then like them dancing to like the Ghostbusters theme song, like out of nowhere, yes. and it's it's very strange. It's very surreal. It was great. I mean, I like even like the, the wolf was like he had his feet up on the table answering phone calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. It was, it was it was beautiful. Simone cried at the end of that thing. I with, did after that. cry. I did cry. I was like, oh my god, it's the end. No. Right? Because it does feel like I, I feel like I should just release that. I should just put that out there. Maybe probably do better than, than the documentary I made. No, fuck no. The, your your film is is great. And August sixteenth is the uh, preview screening, correct? Yeah, for, August sixteenth, um, Sunday, August sixteenth, and and uh, we're saying Anaheim. It's technically Santa Ana, California, uh, California. Um, it's about, ten, it's a 10 minute drive from Disneyland where, um, you know, subversively what we're doing is we're, we're, uh, screening the documentary during D23, um, which is, you know, the world's like largest Disney fan convention. Um, right. and they, like, I was looking at, I didn't, you know, I had, I, I'm not a big like convention guy and I looked at like the numbers for the last D23 was like 40,000 people or something. Um, wow. and so, you know, we, the, James, uh, H Carter, the second from creepy kingdom, uh, he, he like years uh, last year was like, you should do this. You should totally rent. He, he said, here's this theater. that's 10 minutes from the convention center. Um, rent this theater, uh, and screen your movie during D 23. Uh, and I was like, all right, whatever. And, and I totally went ahead and did it. And it's, uh, I think it's going to be kind of fun. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's a, only a 300 seat theater, uh, which is actually a lot of, of seats. We've sold about 50 tickets so far, but, we still have three weeks, and I think a lot of people are obviously waiting to um, either buy at the door or um, or just wait until a week before, probably just to you know ensure they're going to be there. Uh, but my my plan is I go in, I'm gonna, I'll be in Friday night into L.A. and then Saturday morning I'm driving into Anaheim with my mom, who's coming to the screening, uh, who's in the movie. She, for those of you who haven't seen it, she kind of is sort of the uh, the the impetus for me to go on this journey and meet these other people because. In 2008, uh, no, that's all right, 2005, um, she and I snuck my grandmother's ashes into the Magic Kingdom and, and scattered them in the moat around the Cinderella Castle. So she kind of comes out as sort of a, the rebellious star of, of this film. She's, and she's going to be 60 years old this year, too, which is crazy to me to think about my mom being 60. But she's actually coming out to um, the, for the West Coast premiere. We're going to screen it. Uh, she, she and I actually are going to like putz around on Saturday outside of the convention center where D23 is going on and like we're going to try to get people to come you know hand out flyers and postcards or whatever and then the screening itself this is fun uh, is going to be followed by a Q&A hosted by Roxy Tart from the uh, Pinup Pixies who's also featured in the film one of the uh, Disney social clubs um, and James H. Carter from Creepy Kingdom the two of them are going to are going to run a, a, a facilitate a Q&A with uh, everyone that's going to be there I know Leonard's going to be there I'm going to be there 
We're trying to get Hoot Gibson out there. Uh, fingers crossed. Logan, uh, Logan-based Raptor is going to be there. Um, That's what I was just about to ask. <laughs> yeah, he he is a character you have to meet in person. Um, <laughs> and my mom is actually going to hang out with the pinup pixies before the screening, and she's going to get dolled up, um, oh, wow. like a pinup oh, model, and uh, <laughs> and be ready to uh, to you know uh, talk about this movie. Uh, yeah, it's I, really exciting. I'm really excited. I, like I said, like I've been working ever since you, I saw you on the um, uh, the 11th or whenever it was. We had the the screening. I've, I've uh, just incorporated as much of the feedback as I can into the film. And uh, I think it's just like already, I think it's a hundred times better than it was uh, just by little, you know, just shaving a second here and, you know, you know, trimming things here and there. And my friend Zach, who is in the film and shot a lot of it too, um, hadn't seen it actually. And he came over on Friday, this past Friday um, to see it uh, finally. And he I actually had to, my daughter had just woke up from a nap and I was like, all right, so you, you sit down on the couch, I'll hit play. I'm going to take her out and, and, and we're going to hang out. Um, and I came back about an hour later and he, he, not only was he sitting there like in the exact same position I left him, he was, he, he, he was really annoyed because he was like, I don't want to pause. I'm so engaged, but I have this gum in my mouth. I want to get rid of, and I don't know what to do with it. Uh, and, and that was a good sign, I guess. I mean, he yeah. helped him make it, of course. So he's kind of biased. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was phenomenal. And I'm sure that you guys are going to sell out. I mean, it's crazy. Are you worried about, let's say pixie dusters coming from <laughs> 23, uh, Diz borders or anybody else? Are you worrying about like I think, receiving a lot of hate or I hope they do come? Yeah. That's what I mean. That's what I've always said. Is like, people are always like, well, what if you got banned for the, like during the film? And I, I always said like, that would have been amazing. That would add like such a great like level to the film, a whole new, like, you know, uh, a chapter to it. Um, but, yeah, like I, I, well, I think part of it is is uh, people tend to react. We see it all the time. People react to things they don't know about, and so they're going right. to see this and be like, "Oh my God, it's a movie based on that book," you know. And I hate that book. Ah, Leonard, you know, murder Leonard Kinsey, murder this movie. Um, <laughs> but if they just sat down and watched it, they would realize that it's actually like this tribute. Like the best thing that Leonard ever said, and I thankfully got it on camera, uh, is it's the last thing he says in the film. Not to give it away or anything, but he says like. People spend some people spend their whole lives like trying to get to Disney World, trying to get to this place. And um, if you go in there and you're like an asshole and you ruin their good time, like there's a special place in hell for you. Uh, right. And it really sums up the idea that that um, even if you are going to do this dark side stuff, it's not you're not doing it to like tear anything down or burn anything down or ruin anyone's good time. You're doing it because you're a Disney fan just as much as any pixie duster is. You're just coming at it from a different angle. Exactly. Hey, that actually reminds me, just to go off topic for a second, did you guys see the video of that fight at Test Track yesterday? Yes, mm. I, did. <laughs> I did not. I would love wow. to tell me, tell me more. It, it was fucking brutal. There was, I, I, it's like a two-minute video. Uh, well, there's a family, and then there was another family in front of them. I couldn't really see them because of the way the angle of the video was. Uh, someone was taping on their phone, and this, this girl who had this, well, we'll just say it, she was extremely ghetto, just... <laughs> leapt and like I'm talking leapt into the air at this other girl and they were beating the shit out of each other um, and a cast member comes in and like breaks it up which you're not supposed to do as a cast member you're not supposed to touch the guest even if they're careening down a hill in a wheelchair you're not supposed to stop it that's like legal talking yep. but um, the thing is nobody got in trouble nobody got banned and these people were punching each other yeah. they were hitting each yeah. other with an, um with an umbrella, an umbrella. <laughs> yet you know somebody like adam the woo gets fucking banned for just you know exploring yep. which you know it's kind of fucked up these people whatever i'm just saying it was it was it was a brutal brutal fucking video <laughs> you just check it out you can find it probably anywhere on facebook right now yeah yeah i was uh 
I watched it. I was like, man. Yep, that's test track for you. <laughs> I have that. Is that really what was going too. through your mind? <laughs> I'm just like, God damn it! Where's World of Motion, you fuckers? Yeah. I just love how uh, the the attitude changed because afterwards, when they were um, the cast member was escorting them out, they're like, oh, oh, oh well, we we can let them stand in front of us. It's it's okay or something right. like that. And, like all of a sudden, just changed. They're like, oh shit! Like we're getting kicked out. Oh man. But like they didn't even get banned though. That's the thing. Like they're they're still allowed to go on all the rides and everything. Like so, violence is okay. But you know, like exploring is not. But you can be as violent as you want. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, I uh, ask? Um. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Huh? Go ahead. No, uh, I'm a. Uh, so I'm going to D23 for the first time uh, that weekend that Philip's screening the movie. Uh, they actually apparently this year are selling their tickets through a third-party person who's doing the processing because I'm on a blacklist with them. Um, so I was actually amazed when I got the ticket in the mail. So I will be there on... I'll be at D23 on Saturday with a few copies of the book in hand and whatever postcards Philip has to give me. I will be in that convention center walking around uh, trying to get people in the movie and I will also have a video camera with me because I am sure... That there will be some interesting interactions with pixie dusters. <laughs> uh, well, oh, can man. I ask you that, Leonard? Like, so, like, you you've made me like super paranoid about like I don't know what like protesters outside of the theater or yeah. someone trying to like shoot me in the face or something. Uh, have you have you what, what is what's like what has happened to you like in the past? Have you had like a lot of like like personal backlash or is it just a lot of like trolls on the internet? Um, he got shot in the face just once. Yeah, I I actually had um. I had people threatening me phys- with physical violence, like, again, on the internet. But these were, like, you know, pretty... These were not just random troll people. They were, like, major Disney fans with huge followings. Um, I've had Imagineers uh, call me out and call me an asshole, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's been... it. Uh, yes, there's been a lot of backlash, and that's over the internet, though. So it's, like, in person... I don't know. We'll see how that works out. Like, if, if people are willing to, to step up and say something in person, that's a little different. Uh, actually, I think the only... So this doesn't bode well, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, the only negative uh, reaction I've had in person was at a Disneyana convention <laughs> where I was selling uh-huh. the book, and a lady came up, and she just laid into me. Like, we're talking full-on screaming, like, right in my face. Um, about how awful I was and how this was trash. And um, there was luckily a security guard there who was able to pull her away. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to expect, but I'm putting it out there. So uh, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've been the subject of a lot of that negative energy sure. on the, uh, the Internet because of, uh, the, I guess, content of our show. We've had a lot of issues with people, but not in person yet. And that's actually part of my next question in terms of pseudonyms. A lot of people in the film uh, and in, you know, in general, in, in the, uh, the, dark, the Darksiders, let's call them again, Hoot Gibson, uh, Raptor, Roxy, Leonard, you know, like there's a lot of pseudonyms. Were you nervous using your real name? <laughs> Me? No. I mean, I mean, I didn't. I mean, we, I guess we do. We obviously do some illicit things, uh, 100%. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. My wife has been very funny. She's, she was, her, her biggest criticism of, of my reaction to people during like Q&As or when I'm talking to people about this is I, people tend to say like, you know, like if I'm out there, my, so my name's out there, what's, what's the worst that's going to happen to me? I guess maybe, again, 
some crazy pixie duster could come and um, shoot me in the face. Uh, but <laughs> it's not, again, I think if you look at the work that's being done, if you look at the film, anyone that watched it, they would see that it's, it's this positive sort of almost, you know, obviously like pro Disney, like go have fun at the parks, do your, do your thing. Um, one thing my wife said to me that was very, very uh, accurate uh, was that my mom has always been kind of this interesting kind of oddball as far as Disney is concerned in her life. Um, she lives in Ohio. She has a season pass. She goes like four times a year. And um, my statement's always been like, you know, oh, for all that, you, all the money you spend on Disney, you could be traveling like all over the world, having all of these experiences and whatever. And my, um, it wasn't until I made this movie that my wife said to me, like she said, I, now I, you know, I get it. I understand what your mom does. Like I didn't get it before. Um, but I understand that she goes cause it's this therapeutic kind of like almost like pseudo religious experience, like that she needs to go to Disney world. Um, to, to, you know, have this connection to this place. Uh, it's very important to her and it, and it means a lot to her. Um, and she said, my wife was like, I still don't get it a hundred percent, but I get your mom that much better. Uh, and right. I think that's what you realize when you watch, when you watch the film is you get all of these people so much more and so much better. You understand, I think you understand Leonard like a lot. You understand where he's coming from. Uh, you understand Logan on, on a, a huge level where he's coming from. Um, Roxy has like this great, like, you know, whole thing about how, you know, I come with my friends to have fun as an adult, uh, cause I'm trying to get away from like kind of my day to day life. Uh, and so anyone that, yeah, anyone that has any sort of like super negative opinion is, um, I mean, if, yeah, if anyone knocked on my door and like was there with like a shotgun, like you asshole, I'm going to blow your face off and be like, Oh, give me, give me 90 minutes and we'll see whether we can talk about this. It's true. A lot of people, they judge things based on just, it's called The Dark Side of Disney. That's it. That's all they know. Yeah. That same thing with the book, I'm assuming. They just judge it based on the title of it and don't actually go into it. It's not, you know, there's many times in the book that Leonard writes, I wouldn't do this if I were you. Or, or this is, I mean, I can tell you, I'll tell you how to do it, but you're going to get in trouble. Right. You know, etc. And, and anyone it, who it, reads same, it same thing with the knows that, can tell that I'm about the biggest Disney fan that there there is, you know. It's just I'm coming at it from a different angle. And I think that's what Philip's documentary is all about. Exactly the same thing where if they just sat down and watched the movie, they would see exactly what you're talking about and how, yep. how big fans every single person in that fucking movie is. Like every single person. It's just that they tend to handle things a different way or come at it at a, from a different angle or a different view because they came from a different lifestyle or they're into different things. I mean, I'm into punk rock myself. I like the music, so I might dress. I used to have a vest with patches all over it and shit, and I wore that into the park plenty of times. And, of course, how many stairs do I get, you know, a million? But it's, it's just how we express ourselves. And right. unfortunately, people just see it and don't, like, actually get into it. They don't have a conversation with us or whatever. And it's just – it's. You know, it's crazy that they would have so much hate. I guess have either of you turned somebody successfully, a pixie duster, to the dark side? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, uh, I mean, I know, I know I have. I know there's been, I guess, a lot of, uh, it's funny, it's actually a lot of the cast members uh, who have really kind of hated me just from, from the get-go. And then... Really? Yeah, yeah. That's and, surprising. Well, it's it's just this knee-jerk reaction, like you said. Um, they think I'm trying to destroy their place of business, which is, you know, mm. is a thing. But then, from being around that community so often, especially down in in Florida, um, I've actually gotten to kind of 
be at parties with cast members and stuff and uh, talk to them with them not knowing who I am, which is interesting. Um, and then, so we'll talk and we'll, you know, chat about Disney and then I'll kind of be like, so, you know, I wrote this book about it and they'll be like, oh my God, you're that guy. Like you're the antichrist of Disney. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, but you know, we've just been like, we've just been geeking out about Disney for the past half hour. And, and obviously, you know, that's not the case. So it, again, it's like Philip is saying, when you actually sit down with a person or with this movie or with the book or whatever, and you spend time with it, um, I think your perceptions change, but you're right. The knee jerk reaction is, holy shit, dark side of Disney tattooed girl with a you know a bottle of booze and she's half naked on the front and that's it that's all i need to know like um but yeah but definitely it it is uh if you can get people just even for five minutes to sit down and and have a conversation uh then maybe you're not going to turn them but you can at least (laughs) keep them from screaming at you uh and that's why when i'm when I'm online, all my online interactions with anyone, no matter how awful they're being, I always try to be super polite. I always try to be very nice. I don't go off and, you know, call people fucking idiots because then you're just doing what they're doing, essentially. So, um, and I think that's actually helped a lot uh, with kind of turning people, as you say. And there's some people you're never going to turn. And to be perfectly honest, like, I, I've I've told Philip Philip this before. Like, if you go on Amazon and look at the reviews for um for the book, just sort by the one star reviews. Um, they are fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, I go back and read those like every year or something, just because they crack me up so much. Because I can just imagine these people literally sitting in front of their computer, screaming at the monitor, just bashing the keyboard, like spit flying everywhere, foaming at the mouth, just like. <laughs> getting so worked up over this this book that i don't know it really cracks me up so um yeah i mean you you got to take it with a with a grain of salt there's people that you're not going to reach but those people are probably not people that you really want to interact with anyway so um yeah i mean they're not the kind of people we're going to go uh, have a beer with or something uh right like we did the other night cuz that was cool you know, that, that interaction after the after the screening that we had when we all went to the bar and kind of just shot the shit, talked to Disney, geeked out. Like, that's the that's an experience that I've had a lot since the book came out. And it's just always awesome because it's like, yeah. wow, there are other people like me out there. This is amazing. Um, and I, I never take that for granted. And it's always super cool. That uh, was a really good time. So, yeah, hopefully we'll oh, do definitely. more of that in uh, Anaheim, too, Philip. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wish we could be out there in, in Anaheim because it's just we can't afford that flight right now. Oh but, yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we get en- enough people to fill the two seats that we would have filled, <laughs> and and more and more and more and more and more. <laughs> it's appreciated. We so. are gonna do a, a proper New York um, premiere. Uh, it's still it's in the works. Uh, I, this one of the reasons why I think we were successful with both of the Kickstarter campaigns is because I was able to ingratiate myself with one of the, with the, not one of, with the guy who's in charge of sort of the film department at, at Kickstarter, who, who um, happens to also be a Disney nerd. Um, and right. he like flipped out when he was like, oh my God, I love that book. <laughs> I, I, yes, <laughs> gonna be magic. So he's really been, you know, integral in, in the success we've had with fundraising. Um, so he and I are working on trying to, to get a, a worthwhile um, 
you know, proper New York City premiere. Cool. And an right. Orlando one, right? Orlando, yeah. Orlando's definitely happening. Um, it's going to be probably most likely November 15th is what we're um, saying. Uh, we're saying that. I, I kind of feel bad because somebody I know uh, already bought, like, a ticket to, like, like a, a, a plane ticket and everything. <laughs> uh, and I still haven't locked it down yet, but we have time. We have time to lock it down. It's definitely going to be that weekend, probably. It's the last weekend of food and wine at Epcot. Oh, nice. My mom, my oh, mom nice. was already going to go anyways. She's like, oh, I'm already there. I'll see you there. <laughs> All right. Are you ha- are you having it near the um near the actual uh, Disney World? The um, Disney there's World. Talks, so there's two theaters that it's up in the air between now. It's uh, the Winter Garden uh, Theater, which is called the Winter Garden, or the Enzian, which anyone that knows Orlando apparently the Enzian is like is super cool. Um, it's like you. It's one of those theaters you can drink at. Um, and they, it's like nice. all of the. There's no like chairs. It's all like comfy couches to sit on, and it seats still seats like 300 people. And, oh. Um. Yeah, that's the one. If you that that uh, I think people are really chomping at the bit for an Orlando premiere, um, and we're definitely going to do it November. In November. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no chance of a AMC at Downtown Disney release? No, probably not. <laughs> no. It was, it was the, the weird dream was that we, we after making a film about Celebration is that we could try to like break into that uh, AMC that was in Celebration. There was a two-screen AMC theater in Celebration that that is now, uh, I think it's now like a weird like pseudo-Christian church or something. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> but it still has these huge like spires that are you know say like Celebration on them. They're neon lit and everything. Um, but yeah, that would be ridiculous to screen it there. But probably not going to happen. Well, Simone and I watched the bubble. Um, we well, I bought the DVD at the mm. screening, um, and it was fucking great. Like okay. we. It was great because it had this overall like wholesome feel, but yet like with the music and the way that it was done, it had a slightly spooky, let's call it a Tim Burton-esque feel to it, <laughs> but documentary, documentary style. Um, so we really enjoyed it. And we have The Dark Side of Disney, which again was, was great as well. Were you thinking of attempting a third like uh, documentary <laughs> revolving to kind of really complete that trilogy. Disney trilogy? Yeah, yeah. Um... I'm happy that you bought that DVD because it comes with a soundtrack CD uh, featuring yes. uh, original music from Gabe Shrey, who's a great friend of mine I've known since I was five years old. And he uh, has He's in all those old movies that I've made with, with everybody. Um, and his music is like the shining star of, of anything I, I ever do. Uh, it's good Absolutely. stuff. Yeah, I love it. Have you guys ever heard about the whole idea of like the global, local, personal idea? Um, it's something they talk about a lot in, in um, more in uh, the, like, you know, public health or in international affairs. Uh, yeah, I know, like, like in the business world, marketing and stuff like that. I yeah, know. So, so we think it would global, local, personal. So, so that's what we think of a, a trilogy could be. So I think of um, Celebration has sort of this global feel to it. Even though it is this small town, it has this community. Say if, if it's not a, a globe, it's not the whole entire world, it's a community. It's these people coming together. Um, then the local uh, thing would be more about the, the personal stories that pop up in the dark side of Disney. Um, but then we say global, local, personal. When we say personal, we mean individual in this aspect. So um, this is, you know, I don't know if this is going to happen. Uh, it is sort of a dream of mine and, and a, a dream of his also. Uh, but recently, Hoot Gibson, uh, who was featured in the dark side of Disney, uh, for those of you who are listening and don't know who he is, go to uh, you know Google Mesa Verde Times um, and check out his website where he was ba- – I, I really think that he was the guy – Number one, who like turned me on to the uh, whole idea of like urban exploring in general, not not only at Disney but in general, the idea that there are 
places that you can explore that are public in your backyard. You know, uh, every city has you know, like abandoned buildings and things like that um, that you can like snoop around in and uh, and sneak around. But Hoot um, and his uh, friend Chief, uh, both of course pseudonyms, um, uh, took it upon themselves to document all behind the scenes of all of these di- different rides at, at Walt Disney World. Um, and they have this just insane kind of like rebel, uh, complete like trespassing vibe about them. Uh, but to their credit, they really genuinely felt like they were doing this like historical, like almost like, you know, archaeological like digs of these, uh, these rides. And it's super amazing. And his whole, he has a probably about a 10 minute segment in the dark side of Disney. And he, he's my favorite part of the film. He, he was, uh, no offense to Leonard, but he was like the most fun to hang out with. Like, <laughs> who is just like a, a wonderful dude who like, well, if you can get a hold of him, he's kind of squirmy. <laughs> he's kind of hard to pin down. Um, but if you can pin him down and like spend a day with him, uh, it's the best day you're going to have, uh, with a Disney freak ever. Yeah. He's um, massively entertaining. Yeah. It, that- endless. And so he is, and we actually, he talked about it while we interviewed him and I didn't, I cut it out of the film and talking about it. Uh, but he uh, has these dreams of building his own little amusement park on his own land in Florida. He has, I think he has like about two or three acres, maybe more. Um, and he has this dream and he said he's, he says he's made like blueprints and everything uh, for just like a little tiny, like, you know, mom and pop kind of like amusement park. Um, and he really wants to do it. And he, and he, a couple months ago, uh, I know he likes to, to drink on like Fridays and then get on Facebook and like trash talk people who uh, disrespect his, his um, Disney uh, heritage. <laughs> um, and, but he uh, emailed me uh, through Facebook, uh, messaged me, and, and was like, you know, I'm doing this. I'm going to make this happen, and I want you to make a documentary about it. Uh, and I was on board immediately. I was like, yes, okay, please, yes. What can we do? How can we do this? Um, I think that would be an amazing, like, third-part trilogy, you know, to end of the trilogy, um, to spend, like, a year with Hoot Gibson as he's, like, building this theme park. And just imagine, like, a film where it's him, like, all of like the, 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 you know, challenges have to come out of that and watching this guy like build this thing by himself in his backyard, basically. And then it, it, I, there's only two ways it can end, right? Like number one, it opens and it's a successful thing. And it's a great, like, you know, the, the last shot of the film is like a drone shot, like above the land as we see like everything. Nice. And, yeah. Or it ends with like him just being like, Oh God, like tying a noose. Like I failed and <laughs> getting ready to, to hang himself. Um, the last shot is like the rope going tight as it, you know, his neck snaps or something. Who knows? Um, and the, and the, the thing <laughs> Either about, way, that's like a good ending. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the thing about this is it, this is a guy who actually has the talent and the ability to do this. Um, he, he's pretty much transformed that uh, Pirate's Cove uh, mini golf place down there in, in Orlando. Uh, single-handedly built just huge huge rock structures or animatronic things and uh he's just supremely talented and is is fully capable of of, of building a really incredible theme park um and it's amazing because he like learned it all from sneaking around at disney world like he like yeah he like there's a great part in the in the movie. Oh, maybe I got cut it out. <laughs> um, where he says like he and 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 Hoot went to like um, the engineering department or whatever it's called at Disney World. And they're like, oh, we want to do this. We want to go work on animatronics. We want to you know build sets and do things like that. And they're like, okay, you need like a six year master's degree in electrical electrical engineering. And they're like, oh nope. And they like you know washed their hands of it and like walked out. 
and that was when they were like, well, we'll just teach ourselves. And they, they filmed like everything they possibly could and learned. And so everything you see at Pirate's Cove uh, is all stuff that he like learned just by like watching and learning and like rewatching tape and like taking things apart and uh, examining it. It's, it's super cool. Uh, I, I keep almost like cutting that part out of the dark side of Disney, the, the movie, like where we go back and we are walking around the golf course with him. Uh, yeah. but I can't like, it's such a good, like parallel to, you know, the, the depression, uh, of, of losing chief. chief. Um, and then we're, but then we, but then we see the fruits of their labor. We see what they, they what he achieves like from those adventures they went on. And, and the, the golf course looks great. Like now at this point, like I'm definitely going to check it out, you yeah, know, yeah, because yeah. It, I'm glad yeah, that it's awesome. in the film because I didn't even know that this, that this existed. I, I, I can't wait to check that out next time I go down to Florida. Yeah, definitely so. check it out. I, I, and Philip got this too. We both got kind of, uh, well, as much as there is a backstage tour of that place, but uh, but got to walk around with Dave and have him show us, you know, different stuff and how it worked and what what the plans for it are going to be in the future. I mean, he's got all these ideas for it, and luckily that place, they let him kind of do what he wants, whereas. If he was going to Imagineering, and he's been asked to go to Imagineering multiple times, uh, he would be stuck on multi-year projects where he would, you know, have very little uh, creative input, and uh, his budget would get slashed, and probably most of what he did would not make it to the the final product. So he just is kind of like, "Fuck it, I'm not doing that. Why would I do that when I can go here and propose something?" And you know, and a day later I get a yes, and the next day I'm out on the ground making it happen. I watched him program um, like a lighting and audio thing for a pirate that was like uh, down in a cave. And this was a little kind of side thing off the parking lot. And I mean, I imagine, unfortunately, something like that would take probably a year to pass through uh, through Disney Imagineering where he just was sitting there and did it in an hour or two. Um, so, yeah, it's really impressive, it's really inspiring, and it kind of makes you think about back how things were when Walt was running running the show and how those guys really made the magic happen just by being able to do whatever the hell they wanted. Um, yeah. It's a shame it's not like that anymore. But, but he, So he's really inspiring, and he's also a very talented guy. Yep, he, it, it, it's, it very much shows in the film. Uh, very compelling speaker and, you know... Uh, I saw a little bit of uh, the extra stuff of his uh, interview uh, from, again, from the Kickstarter campaign. And, you know, it's just you, you can't get enough yeah. of who. So yep. um, since we were going on that same route of uh, documentaries, do you find yourself now drawn towards the documentary or were you ever thinking of branching out, possibly going like narrative? Yeah, I always made narrative. Like I, that's what I did until I um, got out of film school. And I got out of film school when I was like 27. I was... Uh, I, you could say late bloomer, but I was really more of just like an asshole who wasted the first half of my 20s. Um, just kind of like bounced around from a couple of cities and didn't really do much for about five years. Uh, Been there. <laughs> um, right. Uh, but so then I went to school and I school was great because actually I took, it was like a two year technical degree. and it, it taught me all of the technology I needed. Like, so I learned, you know, all the final cut and cameras and all that kind of stuff. So that's good. But um I had always made narratives. I always wanted to make narratives. It was always my thing. I appreciated documentaries, but uh, didn't. I never thought about making them. Uh, and then when I got out of school and I was like living in New York, I went to film school in New York. Moved here when I was 2006, and I've been here ever since. 
Um, when I got out of film school, I started realizing how if I wanted to do things on a more professional level, it took a lot of time and money to do narrative work. Um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you, know, you had to write scripts, of course, and you had to um, find good actors and then rehearse. And then, uh, of course, you know, it costs so much money to shoot, like, you know, sets and, and locations and whatever you need to do is, it just wasn't, it, it was unachievable. There was no way that I was going to do it. I don't have any money. I, I was lucky to fall into um, a teaching job. I teach filmmaking through a couple different nonprofits. Uh, I, I teach in high schools throughout New York, and that's what pays the bills, but um, it's not making me rich or anything. It, uh, it keeps me going from project to project. Um, and so I quickly realized that documentary was, was an easy thing that I could pick up and, and start shooting and, and start talking to people, you know, getting interviews. And um, you could kind of, what I loved about it is I've always really loved editing uh, as far as filmmaking is concerned. I've always really been a fan of post-production. And when I look back and really think about it, I was writing and shooting just so I could get to the edit. Um, and that's where I think the differences between narrative and documentary is that uh, with narrative, you're writing a script and then trying to achieve the story set out in that script. With documentary, you're, you have an idea uh, for the most part and you are filming and, uh, and so you get to the editing room and then you're in the editing room and you have like hundreds of hours of footage. You're like, okay, so what was that story? What am I trying to build? And you build the story through the edit rather than um, uh, looking back at that script you do with narrative. Um, the way, the way I describe it to the students is that it's like with, with narrative, you're, you're putting together a puzzle and you have all the pieces and you have the box that has like the picture on the top that is, Oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. Okay, cool. Let's put this together. With the documentary, you have a, a 1 million piece puzzle, but you have no box top. You have no idea what the picture is going to be. And you're just like jamming pieces together until they fit. Um, and then you're like, okay, when they do fit, it's like the best feeling on earth. It feels a million times better than, than it ever did. Like with narrative filmmaking. Uh, and it becomes this very rewarding thing um, that uh, that I really appreciate more than, than the narrative stuff. Um, but all that being said, I would love to like if somebody was like, "Hey, here's a million dollars, go make a, a narrative movie." Uh, I would 100% be on board to do it again someday. So there is a possibility we'll see our Kingdom of Dust in movie form. Let's do it, <laughs> Leonard. Are you ready? Let's do it. Yes, do it right absolutely. Now. Do it. All right, I'll, I'll drive to Baltimore tonight. We'll get. Not that he lives in Baltimore. <laughs> I, I think that I think that cat's out of the bag. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, I was gonna sack and cut it if you want me to. Yeah. No, no. Well, you are an official vlogger now for the Baltimore um, Post Examiner. I am. Yeah, I'm, I do vlogs for the Baltimore Post Examiner, and we've had we've had quite a few events here. In fact, we had a, a screening of the bubble uh, during the Arcanum of Dust uh, book release and um, the Haps that, book release. The Haps book release. Yeah. What was the Arcanum of Dust one? Uh, oh no! That did you come to that? No. Uh, no, but I in in your mind, I'm there always. <laughs> but anyway, that was at that was at Atomic Books in in uh, Baltimore, and they've been very supportive of kind of the whole uh, counterculture uh, Disney thing and stock my books and let me have events there. So um, yes, yeah, so we had a screening of the bubble there, which is great, and um, hopefully we will have a a screening of of this movie there. Yeah, we'll I know that. there's been a lot of a lot of people calling for a Baltimore screening, so we'll we'll try and make that happen for sure. I'm there. I'm totally there. What is your what is your um, dream cast? If you could pick if anyone from any time in the history of cinema, who what's your dream cast for uh, the Our Kingdom of Dust uh, adaptation? 
Oh man, that's terrible. That's a terrible question. I I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's great. I, I can't even begin to think about that. I w- that would take me a while to cast that. I would not do it lightly. Um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. in my mind, they're like characters that I lived with for, you know, the entire time I was writing it. So they are actual like individual people who look like, in my mind, just real people. So mm-hmm. yeah, it would be like essentially casting people who look like those characters I had in my head. Um, that would be a tough one. Uh, and it's not, it's, it's heavy material. So they have to be pretty good actors too. Right. So uh, it wouldn't be like Channing Tatum in the lead role. Uh, no, I think that would be, (laughs) no offense to him, just, uh, just maybe not, not right. Maybe like, uh, like Tobey Maguire would be a good Blaine McKinnon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I I can see that. I mean, you, you don't think you want to play Blaine? Uh, (laughs) I did the audio book, um, and, uh, I did, I I played all the characters in the audio book and felt like a complete ass doing it, but. You should play all the characters. Yeah, I'll I'll do like, do the whole uh, dragon. Like Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> oh, that would be terrible. Or you could just a modern day Eddie Murphy. No, it it is funny though because in that book, the lead character Blaine McKinnon, he does talk like I do. So, um, like he's he's the one who's got my voice, but he's absolutely not me. Um, but people read that book and always just assume that I'm Blaine McKinnon. I'm kind of like no. I mean, obviously, writing for a character, you've got some of your personality in every character that you write for, but, uh, yeah. No, and, and, and the same way Dark Side of Disney was very much written in my voice, um, and when the book first came out, I don't know how much video you guys have watched, but there was the Leonard Kinsey kind of persona that went along with the book, and I wore these uh, crazy kind of glasses, like Groucho glasses, but even weirder, and kind of talked in a kind of just a manic uh personality and um and i think for better or worse that helped sell a lot of books but also people just thought i was a raving lunatic and so i do podcasts like this um people would invite me on in those early days and be genuinely scared that i was going to completely derail and and blow up the podcast essentially because i was a raving lunatic um and and they'd be very surprised when I'd come on and be well-spoken and stuff. And I have to explain, well, look, that Leonard Kinsey in those videos is very much a, a, a part of who I am. That guy exists in me. But if I was that guy 24-7, I would probably, you know, be destitute and, like, living in under a bridge right now. Because that guy is uh, is not capable of functioning uh, around other people um so i i think there are a lot of people who are disappointed like about that but in the end you know once i started publishing other people's books like uh, ron schneider the the guy who played the dream finder and roly crump the imagineer um i kind of had to switch switch that around and become the more professional uh normal guy and basically be a total huge sellout um <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we are today. But, well, we all, if, if any of you saw SLC Punk, it's just the the order of things. We all become sellouts in the end. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's it, someone's like, hey, you get to meet and work with Rolly Crump, who worked yes. with Walt Disney personally and who was a friend of Walt Disney. Um, and all you got to do is tone it down and be a little more professional. And like, yeah, you know what? I, I think 
I can do that. <laughs> I'm a yeah, Disney fan first and foremost, you know, uh-huh. and and uh, just given being given the opportunity to to work with Rolly and to work with Ron Schneider, and I mean that's a dream come true for any Disney fan. And um, and yeah, it, uh, Dark Side of Disney got my foot in the door, um, but it just ended up being so much more than that going forward. And uh, for that, I'm extremely thankful. And even this movie, I mean. Lord knows I never would have imagined when I wrote this book that someone would have, you know, wanted to make a documentary based on a book that or influenced by a book that I made. And it's just been the people that I've met through it and the experience I've had have been just incredible. And this is just another incredible experience. Yeah, I got to say, I nearly shit myself when I first saw that it, was, it existed. I don't know. <laughs> I was I was just um, I don't even know what the fuck I was Googling something. And it came up, and it was, it was like the Dark Side of Disney documentary, and I was like, all right, it's probably some fan-made bullshit right. or whatever. I click on it, it's a Kickstarter campaign, and I'm like, oh, shit. And so I started watching some of the video on the Kickstarter, and I was like, this is going to be fucking amazing. <laughs> and it's better than I even expected at that point. So yeah, me too. I'm very excited. Again, this Anaheim premiere, uh, August 16th. Everybody should go buy tickets. What's the uh, website? Uh, so DSODDoc.com. Uh, so like, Dark Side of Disney dsoddoc.com. It's I, I, it's exciting. It's I, that's my my biggest concern has been that uh, that people are going to expect this like you know uh, like we were saying in the very beginning expect this like real dark like we're gonna oh, go to Disney fuck shit up uh, and then they're gonna come see this movie <laughs> where like I'm I'm just like kind of waiting for my like my baby to show up uh, and I'm like crying because I drank too much and you know we talked to uh, you know it, it's it's not as as uh, dark as as it could have been I guess. There's some um, of that in there. I mean, there's enough to please it, the sure. people who who are looking for that, but it's, yeah. that's not. It's just not 90 minutes of debauchery. There's an actual. Right. So there, yeah, there is. There there's is some fake, heart there. We, we do get fake IDs. We do go into the utility doors. We do um, do dabs, which uh, I didn't know what that was as a 35 year old man <laughs> in this <old>. world. I <laughs> uh, you know, right? I didn't know. I was like, what are, you know, kids are doing dabs. Okay, I'll do a dab. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what that was. Um, and it shit fucks you up, I'll tell you that much. Uh, and, uh, yes, we do all that crazy stuff, uh, and that and then some. Uh, but then we also, you know, we get to the heart of it. We really, really get to the heart of it. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for your mom or just seriously, now that I think about it, every character in there has a sensitive story underneath the quote-unquote debauchery, as we say. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that, that that made the movie that's what excelled it past my expectations because uh, again, I expected exactly what you're saying. It's just going to be a bunch of people going around fucking whores and, you know, <laughs> drinking and shit, which by the way, the drinking around the world scene, I'd like to see the extra footage that you guys filmed. I'm just saying, yeah, I um, showed, because I, that I, seems I, very interesting. <laughs> I showed a cut literally like two weeks before the, the rough cut screening. I showed a cut to my mom and my wife, um, that had, it was probably like a, a, a 10 minute sequence. So the, the drinking around the st- world was about 10 minutes long. And it was, it was, there's a lot of like, you know, conversation in it. We, there was probably about two minutes devoted to each country or something like that. And, and it, I thought it was like, oh, this is good. This is funny. It's, you know, very introspective. We're really talking about some serious stuff, you know, seven or eight drinks in. Um, and then, and I only really kind of watched it once as far as like this 10 minute cut was concerned of that sequence. And then I showed it to my mom and my wife and they were like on board. They were so into the movie. They were into the movie. Oh, this is great. It's looking good. It makes sense. This is wonderful. And then hit that point. 
and they just like you saw like a switch go off and they were just got so right. bored they got so annoyed like everybody was just like oh what is this this is so bad like what did you do um and i was like oh god i gotta i guess i got a montage just um and so we went in you know i went back and, and and cut it into more of a montage um and kept the the highlights um but uh and I, it works a lot better now as it is uh right. but I still and I feel bad because I, one of the the Kickstarter rewards is that I uh, it was supposed to be um, this three part library of uh, extended footage. One was interviews, one was going to be um, some of the B roll, and then the third one was going to be extended kind of like uh, takes from like the um, Pirates Cove stuff from the Utilidors stuff from uh, Dreaming Around the World, and I just haven't had a chance with a rush to this um, West Coast premiere to finish that third um, Kickstarter backer reward library. Uh, and it'll be up there eventually. So you'll, you'll get to see all the weird, like awesome. awkward drunken conversations that we get into. There's one point and they like, there's one point it's really awkward. Like we're in like Italy, like eight drinks in or something. Um, and I'm standing there and like, I'm, I'm talking to, to Logan and to Zach. And all of a sudden I realize I'm in a conversation where including Joe, the camera guy, they're all talking about, um, about suicide and how like they, you know, everyone's talking about suicide, like either attempted suicides or like friends who died from suicide and I'm like sipping this beer and I'm thinking, oh no, like this is all falling apart. Like it's getting too dark. We're getting too serious. And like we're only, we have like three more drinks to do or whatever. Uh, and you can see it in my eyes. Like I'm like, oh God. Like, and Joe keeps filming the whole time. Uh, and it, it was a little too much to, to handle. Uh, and thankfully I listened to my mom and my, and my wife and I, I trimmed that part down. We have, um, well, I have a 40 minute video that I was planning on doing, um, I guess we'll call it commentary on. We do a segment a lot of the time called Radio Wars where we, we listen to different Disney podcasts and we, uh, let's say, comment on them. In awesome, a by the way. Very negative way. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, to be fair about it, we decided we, need to, we found an old podcast that me and Simone did in like 2007. So we're going to take that one and this video of me drinking around the world when I was like 20-something years old, 22 years old oh, or something. Boy. And um, it's... It, it devolves into basically that last scene that you see of uh, Philip and you guys drinking around the world. It, it kind of ends like that in a way, but it's so embarrassing. But I'm like, hey, to be fair, if we're going to make fun of all these other podcasts, let them make fun of us. So we ha we're bringing on a bunch of people to, to do it. So awesome. um, it's, it, you know, I, I like to see shit like that, to see people, quote unquote, embarrass themselves. It makes me, makes me feel better about myself. So <laughs> about a year ago. There's this guy, um, and I just wanted to bring this up to both of you and see what you thought about it. Uh, this guy, Brian McPherson, he's a, f a folk punk recording artist, and he used to tour with, uh, I guess he still tours maybe, with Dropkick Murphys. And he was supposed to play a show in Anaheim um, at the House of Blues, which I guess is on Disneyland property. Um, yeah. He ended up getting, for some reason, banned from playing the show. He's not, he was never a Disney fan. He didn't really care. You know, he'd never been to the parks before, really. Um, so it was kind of a weird thing. It was because of, I guess, his lyrics or his stance on things. He was, uh, you know, uh, anti-government, what have you. Um, and they just told him he can't play. Dropkick played without him. Um, but there are other bands like Anti-Flag, Mischief Brew, Dead Kennedys, Black Flag, all these other anti-government bands and such that have played in that same arena. Have you ever heard of anything like this happening? Yeah, that's a, that's a weird story. I mean, I know, <laughs> I forget what it was. It was a few years ago. At Food and Wine, there was, and I, I don't remember who the performer was, but it was some young female um, who kept <laughs> kept cursing during her set. Um, <laughs> God. And uh, I guess she just couldn't help herself. 
And so she was, you know, as they are slated to perform for three nights or two nights and they basically cut her short after the <laughs> second night. They were like, nope, you are not going to do your next day's worth of, of stuff. But I mean, <laughs> that was in the parks, though. Yeah, right? it was. Oh, no, but, <laughs> but bottom line, I mean, you know, and this is for better or worse. It is public property or it is private property and they don't need a reason. It's just like right. someone doesn't like you. You're banned for life. Um, and, you know, I've obviously had good friends banned for life and I myself am on that list. And I'm sure if I'm caught, uh, then I will also get the trespass notice. But uh, but yeah, it is what it is. It's it's private property. They can decide who they want and do not want in their parks. And you can get on someone's bad side and and uh, it only takes one manager uh, yeah. who doesn't like you, who can decide that, uh, oh no, we don't want this guy here. So, uh, I don't agree with it. And also they have to balance that stuff out with what's called the Streisand effect, uh, which is where Barbara Streisand, someone had taken pictures of aerial pictures of her house and she basically sued to get them pictures, uh, removed and that the resulting publicity of the lawsuit ended up getting the pictures spread around way more than if she just shut up about them. Um, so they have to worry about that too, the Streisand effect. Whereas if, if they really do want to ban someone who's kind of high profile or they want to do something that's going to cause a lot of press, uh, they have to think about that carefully because that might end up actually being way worse for them than if they just let it go, uh, which is what they did for that Escape from Tomorrow movie. They yeah. just didn't really right. comment on it. The movie kind of stunk. Um, it you know, came and went and that was the end of that. Whereas if they'd brought a lawsuit, well, all of a sudden this is a front page CNN and, you know, the guy's going to get interviewed everywhere and it's a huge deal. But, uh, so yeah, that, that sort of thing is, uh, Disney smart. They're, they're smart about that kind of stuff. So, uh, uh, I don't I know, so. Philip, do yeah. you have any thoughts well, on I, whether I or not you're going to get shut down? <laughs> The other thing is, uh, the other obviously the other thing to talk about on this is uh, Escape from Tomorrow, which, you know, is a narrative film that was shot in the parks. Um, say what you will about the movie. I mean, it's I, I, yeah, I, I don't I, yeah okay good thank I, I don't want to as a, as a I liked it someone filmmaker there was for the Z movie shot. that it was uh, there, was, yeah. there were definitely some interesting things about it yeah yeah it has it has its moments I'll say that my favorite thing about it is is any interview I've ever heard with the filmmakers or the main actor. Uh, it, it's the it's like the most amazing behind the scenes story. I love the, the making of the story. For yeah, the that, making for that of movie. is more interesting than the movie of. Yeah, and so that's a movie that that was at Sundance, and everyone was like, "Oh, this is amazing! I can't believe they did this!" Uh, but it's never going to get a distribution deal. You know, then two months later, it gets a distribution deal. It's played in theaters all around the world, and they're like, "Oh, well, whatever! This is never going to be uh, on Netflix." Then it's on Netflix. That's eh, never going to be on Walmart. You can go to Walmart. You can buy that movie. Um, wow. because it's it's that's a hundred percent the Streisand effect right there. Like that's that's right. Disney's being like, you know what? Let that thing do its thing. Um, those people, if anything, at the end of the day, those people are the people that are going to watch that movie are going to come to Disney World anyways. It doesn't really affect us uh, at all. So it's the same thing. I think like again, it goes back to what we've been saying like all night. Is if you so many people just watch it, if so many at Disney legal just watch the Dark Side of Disney documentary, they'd be like, oh, this is actually a really optimistic, like, positive film um, that we should distribute. Did you hear that? <laughs> Vista Home Entertainment? Yeah. That would be great. Just have the Disney logo in front of it and everything. It would be perfect. Mm, yeah. 
Maybe touchstone now, could do that. Yeah, touchstone, <laughs> yeah. Leonard, you were mentioning at the uh, at the screening, you were talking about how Disney themselves kind of want this type of stuff to get out uh, because it brings it draws in a, another crowd. This is what I've heard again through the grapevine. Never directly heard right, from from Disney, but but essentially they are not able to market to this crowd, um, and this is a crowd uh, you know, for better or worse of adult, relatively. Uh, well-off people, or at least people who can afford to go on a Disney vacation, um, who they just can't market to because that doesn't fit the Disney image. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, when I'm writing The Dark Side of Disney, I've had so many people go, I never would have thought of going on a Disney vacation, and now I can't wait to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of, yeah, it's a marketing campaign for Disney for that they couldn't couldn't possibly do themselves uh so in that respect yeah i mean it's it is doing them it is definitely doing them some good and uh and reaching an audience that they can't reach and they've they've actually it's been interesting to see them try to cater to that audience um since the book came out um they've had a few things where they brought in like tattoo artists to do art for shirts and stuff and had them signing at downtown disney and stuff like that so they've kind of opened up a little bit about who they can market to um and of course gay days uh uh-huh. they've never do you officially think something like the um the the gangs that we're seeing in disneyland like do you think that that is because it seems like that's kind of like almost like a ripple effect from like the dark side of disney it, yeah i mean i don't i don't take credit for any of those things i just know <laughs> that i just know that the book has helped a lot of people kind of <laughs> come out of the closet as being Disney fans when maybe they weren't the kind of people that uh, would be commonly perceived as Disney fans. And as a result, a lot of communities have sprung up on the Internet by people who are like, hey, I'm a Disney fan. Oh, you are? But you don't look like one, but you do so, look like me. And OK, I get, I'm a Disney fan, too. And um, so, yeah, it's been it's been cool to see that happen. Um, of course, I'm not going to take credit for all that. It might have just been like kind of the zeitgeist of the time, like it just all it was the right time for the book to come out. It was the right time for all these kind of alternative people to express that they were into Disney. I don't know, but the way it worked out was, was really cool. And, um, Disney doesn't seem to be bothered by that. They seem to be really embracing the fact that they have, uh, fans of all types, which is super cool. That's really funny because it, coincidentally, like I um I got a randomly like in the mail like uh, uh I'm the most like unreligious person there is in the world but randomly in the mail I got this big flyer from like a local like uh, like uh, modern um Christian church uh that was like you know come and check it out this summer uh, you know we got live music and you know kids you know hang out and whatever good video games at church it's crazy um and they're like this, this summer uh, we're doing a, a, a God on Film series. Uh, come on January like nineteenth and get a free ticket to Marvel's Ant Man, <laughs> and we're going to be discussing <laughs> we're going to be discussing God on Film and Ant Man. And I thought I really I was like staring at this flyer forever. I was like, like what the fuck? This is this is like like micromanaging like Disney market. This is Disney marketing at right. like a crazy level because that's not. It was like a branded Ant Man Marvel movies. Like wow. full on through this Christian church, um, and like obviously somebody somewhere in some meeting was like, "All right, uh, you know, we took a gamble with Guardians of the Galaxy and it did really well, but 
I think people are kind of pissed after uh, Age of Ultron. So who, what's the untapped market we can't get into? Oh, the religious market. Let's get into there. And now let's get <laughs> Ant-Man. Let's get those Christians into see Ant-Man. Uh, and I thought wow. that was like such an amazing, like weird niche marketing thing that they, yeah. uh, that they did. Which, yeah, like they're not going to go. I mean, I don't think you're going to go to like your local, um, you know, weed dispensary or something in, 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 in Anaheim <laughs> of all the, and, and see like uh, Disney like promoting, you know, you know, uh, you know, half off park days if you come with your, your vape pen. Right. Like, they're not going to, yeah, they're not going to do that. Um, Unfortunately. You're right. But like they a, will promote uh, Ant-Man at, at Christian churches. They can put an advertisement on the back of the, uh, the weed lollipop truck that drives around uh, <laughs> yeah. downtown Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's up with that? Is that legit? I always see that. And I always think, like, is that legit? Do I really? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've never bought from Oh, you know? I, I know. Um, I work in Times Square, and uh, I knew a guy who was selling comedy tickets, and he told me that he goes to that truck all the time, and then he would just, like, eat the lollipops. I've seen him, like, legit, like, at work eating a weed lollipop, and he's just, like, you know, like, high as everything, but he still sold comedy tickets, but he, well, yeah, he would, just, he would just go up to the truck uh, with a hundred, and he'd be like, give me as many as this hundred dollar bill is gonna get oh, me. wow. Yeah. Right. So my question though is that, like does it actually get you higher like I, I my my fear would be that it would, you would get one and it would just like taste like weed and you'd be like oh yeah right. he was high he was, flavor. he was fucked that's up cool. like that's he was cool. totally fucked up yeah that's funny <laughs> do you guys have time for let's say a uh a what if scenario or you guys got to get out of here i gotta wrap up in like i would say the next five or ten minutes but if, if you want to we could clock out with a what if in honor uh, of marvel <laughs> the classic <laughs> what if series I always love the what if, man. The what ifs were great. I thought they were wonderful. <laughs> we kind of touched on it in episode two forever ago. And we, you know, it was episode two, so we sucked. Now, the live entertainment and world showcase, circa, let's say circa 2010, before they kicked everybody out. <laughs> um, who do you think would win in an all out fucking riot brawl? And who would be the first one out? Wow. Mm. It, so wait, so in the, in the live entertainment, who are you referring to exactly? I'm sorry. So, so the live entertainment we're talking about, like we got uh, Off Kilter, oh, Rockin', okay. we got I the gotcha. uh, the Chinese yeah. acrobats, yeah. Those acrobats, I mean, like 100% hands down. I remember like hanging out with like my grandmother, like uh, that was like her number one thing to see on all of the Disney parks were those fucking uh, acrobats who we were like these kids <laughs> that had been like tortured from birth, like probably tortured in the womb to like you know, be the best acrobats they could be. And like all these like, you know, you, tourists get to come there and they're slipping on their $4 Mountain Dews. Like, Hey, look at those guys. Uh, great. Uh, yeah. Those, if, if shit got real, like those Chinese acrobats would fuck you up. <laughs> that was who we picked. Too, yeah, I think. We, oh, we, we definitely picked them. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to agree with that. I mean, I, I, I'd want, I off kilter the underdogs, you know, obviously yeah. you, you'd hope that they would win, but, uh, no, I don't think they stand a chance. Do they, do they play like bagpipes or something? I don't remember off kilter. Yeah, they were. It was like yeah. rock and roll, like uh, Scottish music, essentially. Oh, okay. They all so wore they kilts would, would hit and they'd uh, like, hit that tone that like makes your head explode, scanner style. From like, maybe <laughs> somehow the kilts, I think, would be an advantage. Uh, oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe. Uh, but uh, but <laughs> yeah. No, they. I uh, think it's them and the the UK. What is it? The the the, the, band, the Beatles band. Yeah. Yeah, and and. Yeah. and and also the band from fucking um, Germany, the Umpa band. The oh, three of yeah. them, I think, would have a drunken bar brawl, and they they'd have to knock each other out. Dude, yeah, they would all, be like, awesome. it'd be like one solid, like you know, all in sync punch where everyone punches everybody at the exact same time, <laughs> and they all just knock you like forty people knock each other out. 
That would be beautiful. Yeah, so who would be the first out? What's that? I was going to say, have you, uh, it was a completely random side note. Have you seen that Seven Days in Hell, that um, Andy Samberg uh, tennis documentary thing that's on HBO? No, no, I didn't, but I can check it out. I recommend what? it. I reg- I, I was, I, I got a little stoned the other night and watched. It. It's only forty five minutes long. I, I hit play thinking it was going to be like a two hour movie, but it's a basic, it's a mockumentary, of this like epic like seven day uh, like tennis match that happened at Wimbledon one year. And, like everybody, ever like Fred Armisen's in it and Will Forte and, uh, right. um, but then also like John McEnroe and all this stuff. And, but there, it, it, not. I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but I kind of just gave it away with the the synchronous um, punch brawl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it's good. I recommend it. I'll definitely check that out. So, who do you think would be the first out then? Uh, I think the dude who uh, who played Ringo in the in the British Invasion. Sorry, <laughs> he would just run away. Run yeah, run away. Nah, he's he's going down. Yeah. yeah. We, what did uh, what did Canada Canada have anything good? They had off kilter. That was yeah. it. Oh really? I, that's so funny. That they, yeah, I guess that makes okay. No, yeah. it didn't really make much sense that Canada yeah, yeah, would have really. a Scottish bagpipe band but but yeah they were they were i guess i guess the voices of liberty would have to be the first out because (laughs) i mean what are they i mean you know come on they're the voices of liberty they don't really have any instruments they can't really fight they're all sonic like screaming notes man they do they don't really do much so they just stand there and they're not really in the best shape physically a little proper yeah yeah yeah. not gonna work out what about (laughs) what did italy have they had um those you know those people in Times Square who like yeah. dress gold gold face? Oh. The statue people, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they probably actually they'd probably be the first out now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much guys for coming on. Fucking we had a great time. But of course, before you go, I just really, really want to plug that show one more time because I'm mm-hmm. so fucking excited about it. So let's go. It's August sixteenth. Yeah. Take it away. So the deal is here's the deal. Here's the big deal. You come night of, you walk up to the door. You buy a ticket. It's $20. Like, $20 is not like a small drop in the bucket. It's $20 at the door. If you pre-order ahead of time, right now you can go do this, dsoddoc.com. That's dsoddoc.com. Um, if you buy a ticket now, it's only $15. You get $5 off pre-order ticket. Um, so it's only 15 bucks. You can come. Uh, we are going. The doors are at 4.30. Uh, when you come in, there's going to be merch tables from everybody, me, from Leonard, I don't know if I've talked to Leonard about this, but hey, Leonard, there's going to be a merch table if you want to yeah. sell um, The uh, the Bangarang bunch and Pixie Pinup uh, ladies are going to be there. Um, they're going to be selling stuff. Uh, Creepy Kingdom's going to be selling stuff. Dana Snyder and Guy Hutchinson from Drunken Disney are going to be there. They're going to be selling stuff. Yes, um, love those guys. So everybody's going to have like you know a little merch row that you're going to get to walk down as you get your seat in the theater. Uh, it's going to be an amazing, you know, 90 minute screening of this newly polished, um, you know, cut of the film, followed by a Q and A hosted by James H. Carter II from Creepy Kingdom and Roxy Tart um, from Roxy's World podcast and uh, the Bangarang Bunch um, Disney Social Club. Uh, there'll be Q and A Q&A with the filmmakers and the participants from the film that are there that day. Afterwards, we're having a little meetup at the Native Sun Ale House, which is right next door to the theater. Uh, it is a great opportunity to come out and meet almost every single person that's in the film. Um, I think the only person that isn't coming at this point is, is, is possibly Hoot, um, but I think he's coming. Uh, the guy who get, got me the fake ID, he's not coming for sure, but he's coming to the Orlando screen. <laughs> but he'll be like, his face nice. will be pixelated uh, <laughs> in real life. Yeah. So yeah, Sunday, uh, August 16th, 4.30 p.m., 
at the Frida Cinema in Santa Ana, California. It is a very convenient 10-minute drive from the Disneyland Convention Center where D23 will be happening. Yep, and I will be there and looking forward to meeting people that I've only met over the internet and I don't wear the mask anymore, so if you want to know what I look like, go on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash darksidedisney, watch some of my videos, and um, if you're D23, come over and say hi, and then come to the screening, and let's have a drink together afterwards. Have you been working out, Leonard? I have, yeah. Yeah, see, look, that's another reason to come. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be shirtless <laughs> the whole time. There you go. I mean, you want to see, no, I'm not going to be doing that. <laughs> in that the, in the video you put up of you recording the theme song for your your new vlog, uh, you looked ripped, dude. You looked ripped. Thanks, thanks, Philip. Yeah, <laughs> ladies, ladies, come on. There you go. There you has, go. Has anybody ever told you guys um uh with the way that you guys are doing the screening? Are you you guys familiar with trauma? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. so this is kind of like how when trauma used to do their uh, trauma dance. Um, yep. Like really, like near Sundance, but now Sundance. I mean now, yeah. yeah. So this is kind of like the new. Well, I mean now Troma Troma Dance oh. is Brooklyn. So this is. I was thinking that I was like, oh my god, this is like Troma Dance. Like you know, this so could become cool. a thing. This could be like the new thing that we do like every year. Because you could have like your own like uh, like red carpet event or whatever or whatever it is or something. Yeah, like. what would you call it? D instead of D twenty three, you'd call it like D four twenty. Ah, there you go. D twenty three. We'll 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 spitball. We'll spitball. Speaking of which, <laughs> random really quick side note is that I've been uh, I'm a huge fan of Doug Benson. The, basically, he's known as like the the pot comic, um, but yeah. he um, is he's been making a documentary. Uh, every time that, that Morgan Spurlock makes a documentary, he makes a documentary like a year later that is basically a spoof on it. Uh, so he made like super high, he made uh, Super Size Me was the, Spur the Spurlock film, of course, and then um, Doug Benson made Super High Me, uh, which is the thing where he smokes weed for thirty days and then doesn't smoke weed for thirty days. Um, but <laughs> Spurlock just had a film called uh, it was called about Comic Con. It was called Comic Con uh, Episode Four: of Fans Hope. And then, uh, of course, Doug Benson made Chronic Con, episode 420, a fan's dope. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, I feel like he, Doug Benson, because he has a great podcast called Doug Loves Movies. If you're a movie fan, I highly recommend it. It's phenomenal. Uh, I've been tweeting at him saying, like, hey, you know, I think this is right up your alley, Dark Side of Disney. I would love to hear your stories about getting high at the park. And he's always been very kind of, you know, coming back and forth. Uh, but in Chronic Con, um, there's a scene in Chronicon, there's a new documentary, which is out now, uh, where he talks about how going to Comic-Con is so weird because there's like so many kids. He didn't expect so many kids to be there. And it's strange because it's like he's getting high at Disney World. And then he says, like, literally, like, <laughs> if Morgan Spurlock makes a movie at Disney World, I got to go get high at Disney World. <laughs> and so I tweeted at him. I said, hey, you know, we, we got high for the you know, dark side of Disney. And he responded, and this should be a quote, I think, on the poster. Cool. I want to see that. So, there you go. Is he coming to the screening? Uh, he is. I, sadly, he's going to be in like you know Fort Worth or some ah, random place like doing a show that night. Um, but it's my hope. I'm going to actually send him a, a once. I, I'm doing a this week. There's a guy doing a professional audio mix for me. Um, so I'm going to get that all put up, and then I'm going to send him a link online uh, and see if he can get the word out for us. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, that'll be great. Cool. Uh, any last words from anybody before we uh, wrap this up? I just want to say thanks, dsoddoc.com. Check it out. Yeah, and if you haven't uh, read the book yet, it's uh, 
it's on Amazon, it's on Barnes and Noble, pretty much anywhere you can buy a book, you can you can find it. And uh, I got some other stuff out. Go to bambooforestpublishing.com to see all the other books that I've released, and they all kind of had that have that adult edge to them. So if you like Dark Side of Disney, you'll probably dig pretty much anything that Bamboo Forest puts out. And uh, yeah, but but check out the Dark Side Disney book, especially if you're going to come to the screening. Uh, give it a shot before you before you watch the movie. And check out Absolutely. Half the Disney Saboteurs, uh, Leonard's third yes. book. It's a second fiction, but third book. It's really good. And I and I, I after seeing Tomorrowland, you had said the same thing. Uh, how it kind of felt kind of in some ways like a little bit of a uh, I don't know inspired by or uh, you know it. If you if you saw Tomorrowland and you felt underwhelmed, read Haps and the Disney Saboteurs. Uh, nice, hundred yeah. percent. I really recommend it. Yeah, no, I've read almost everything on Bamboo Publishing, and oh, cool. it's it's all great. So seriously, I recommend anything uh, from Bamboo um, or Leonard's in general. Just his books. Um, the Bubble is great. The Dark Side of Disney, obviously, it's why we're having them on. It's fucking amazing. So check out the, both documentaries and all the books. Um, I just want to really quickly tell you guys, if you want have any hate mail or you want to fucking yell at me for whatever reason, it's mouserants at gmail.com. You can go find us at mouserants.tk. Also, if you want to just check out the episodes, uh, go to iTunes. Find us on there and rate and review us. Remember to give us five stars and then write all the shit you want to talk underneath. If you hate us, give us the five stars anyway. Bump <laughs> us up. I mean, we're nice guys. Oh, nice guy and girl anyway, so... Let's 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 do it. Um, and that's really it. So thanks for listening to all you guys. And again, Leonard, Philip, thanks for coming on. Just seriously, you were fucking great guests, and we're fucking excited to see the full movie again in um, New York when you guys come back. Well, awesome. I haven't seen it yet, so I, I need to see it. VIP. <laughs> yeah. Excited about it. Up front, red carpet. Yeah. Thanks for oh, having us. Yeah. Us. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so everybody, let's say goodbye. Let's uh, start with Leonard. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah, that's easy enough. <laughs> dandy, oh, dandy goodbye. Take us out, Simone. Laters. Later, fuckers! <laughs> Look up!
Huh. This is good. This is good. Oh. What's that? Hello? Hello? Yeah. Hello? You're like echoing like psycho. Hello? Mom, I'm on the phone. <laughs> Simone, you Simone did you fall asleep? What the fuck no, happened it, to you? No, it, like, it died. Like, my, my call cut, got cut off, and then it I got it. Hang off the phone. 